Hi, this is Cliff Grigo for the picture-poems.com website in the circle in the square. Thanks for tuning in. I wanted to improvise this morning and talk about uh, one uh, simple idea, and that's the relationship between two circles. On the one hand, nature, and on the other hand, culture. And what I want to explore, what I want to understand, what, to, what I want to address in the spirit of the dialogue circle in a general philosophical way is the relationship between the two. And by the way, if you hear that little gentle sound in the background, that's the sound of snow falling on my tent. It's not the noise of a tape. So the relationship between nature, so that's the sound of nature out there, and culture. So inside our tent, we definitely have the circle of culture, and we have the problem of the relationship uh, between the two. And hopefully during the duration of this little dialogue tape, we won't have any problems between the two. So in all seriousness... How do we think about that relationship? Because obviously our thinking is somehow uh, wrong. Why do I say this? Because there are so many primary problems in the world which uh, threaten the whole of uh, civilization and culture as we know it. Uh, you might uh, recall that double circle of dialogue uh, uh, chart that I use all the time with the ten primary problems. It's interesting just to think of what is a primary problem for a moment. It's something that's there like the snow outside, uh, whether you like it or not. So that has a kind of hard objective truth about it. So we're using our words carefully. We're not saying reality, but truth about it. So it's there whether I like it or not. And here inside the tent in our little circle of culture, we must adapt to that. There is no uh, choice about it. We can deny it snowing out there, but that's not going to get us very far. So that's what I say is uh, the great gift of wilderness, is that once you step into wilderness, like we are up here, then you turn off the projected reality that now dominates world culture in the form of... Uh, uh, politics, uh, news media, the social media and whatnot. So we turn that off. And we begin to address the more primary ground of truth itself. In this simple image of nature and culture and the relationship between the two is a way of doing that. 
And there are different ways, there are different images we can use to help us understand that. One I like is that uh, uh, the one of tuning. So when we tune the strings of a cello, you have the whole of the problem right there in your hands that by taking away the beats of the intervals between the strings, the perfect fists, until they become very strong and stable, uh, what you're really doing is uh, bringing those two circles of the nature of living sound and culture, which introduces things like measure and uh, harmony and more limited concepts of order, you're bringing them together so that they fit, so that they are in a kind of um, harmony. Another way of looking at the relationship between the circles of nature and culture, and really it's the same thing, but it's more generalized, is the idea of truth and function. And then truth and function, thinking of it in a specific way as movement. Now, why do I say that? Why do I give emphasis to movement? Well, when I say it's snowing outside, and it is, and I'm thinking of the great Wallace Stevens poem, 13 Ways of Looking at a Blackbird. <laughs> the blackbird sits on the cedar limbs. <laughs> it was snowing and it was going to... Yeah, it's going to snow. It's not going to change. So we're dug in up here. But it does give you time to reflect upon things like truth and function. Maybe that's what the blackbird is doing too. Well, if I say it's snowing then that is an example that we can test of truth and content. Not truth and function, but truth and content. So we have what we assume is a fact, the fact that it's snowing. And then, in the spirit of objective, uh, popper-like uh, Western science, we go out and test our assumption. Uh-huh, it is true, it is snowing. Well, when we think of uh, the difference between truth and reality in the present era, that's a very handy concept uh, because we have the projective reality of, uh, say, uh, uh, political power, and then we have the independent voice, we hope, of the media, which are doing the fact-checking of what is being projected. So if a politician says A, then the news media will go out and check whether or not that uh, supposed fact is either true or false. It's a very simple idea and one which is very easily uh, corrupted by the obvious bias of self-interest. 
either in the form of a lust to greed for power or for political dominance or uh, money interest, uh, whatever. But it's very easily corrupted. So that's the spirit of philosophy is to transcend, to dissipate, to clean up the corruption. And how does that work? So we have truth and content. Well, what I'm saying is that truth and function is something very much more profound. Why? Because it attunes itself to the ground of truth itself, much like we do in music, by the way. So it attunes itself to the ground of truth itself, not just a mere statement of fact. And then we have something that should slow us down a bit there, is that we're saying that the ground, ground of truth is basically unknowable. So it's related to the silence of the white page. Or if I look outside the tent here, it's the silence of the snowy fields. It's just everything is white. You can hardly see any differences. The silence of a piece of music before it begins. The silence in photography of blackness in contrast to the contrast of light. So it's the world before it emerges into time. So whatever we say about it is going to be limited. Whatever ideas we make about it are going to be limited. Whatever map we make of this ground of truth is going to be limited. But we still have the problem of the relationship between nature and culture these two circles. And our intention is to get the circle of culture once again in tune in an ongoing way, so it's a movement, with the circle of nature. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Let that sink in simply to tune two circles. And my contention is that we're not only not giving that attention and that the circles are profoundly, violently, at present, out of tune with one another, just think for a moment of that diagram of the double circle of dialogue. 
There are 10 primary problems. Pick your problems. It doesn't really matter, but it's a way of thinking. And I can rehearse them here very briefly. Uh, We have water, we have climate crisis, we have energy, we have GMOs, pollution. And then on the other set of five, the other hand, we have footprints, we have farming, finance, nuclear war. So 10 primary problems. Very briefly, it's good to rehearse them sometimes. Now, my contention is is that each one of those is powerful enough. First, they have the circumference of the whole of the living earth, so they're big. They're objective, that means they're there whether we like it or not, whether we deny it or not, just like the snow. I can deny it's snowing, but that's not going to get me very far. And it could also get us into deep trouble (laughs) if you um, are in direct relationship, not in a mere projected television-like reality that is the political world, but in a hard, factual, objective, ground-of-truth world, you might say. So each one of those ten primary problems is pointing in a very powerful way, I think, to a mistuning, a misfit, a disharmony of the relationship between nature and culture. Now, how can that be? Well, that's why we need something like this idea of truth and function as movement. Now, what is uh, moving? Up here in the world of nature... And that's why I think it's so crucial to, in a regular, periodic way, take refuge, return to the ground of our being in wilderness, Well, up here, um, I like to say in nature, so there's our circle, nature, it's a big circle, truth and function is 100%. So, it's another way of saying it's one of our most difficult ideas, is that there is no conflict in nature. There is no waste. That's simpler. Most people would agree, yes, uh, there's no waste. And then a more abstract way of saying the same thing is that there is no contradiction. So we have conflict, waste, and contradiction. There are really three ways of saying the same thing. 
they give you a slightly different perspective. And they are crucially important because that is what you look at, conflict, waste, and contradiction. I almost said corruption. Well, is that true? I'm asking it as a question. Truth and function in nature is necessarily 100%. So Mother Nature, and by that I mean also the ground of everything, this ground of truth, is somehow the very embodiment of this intelligence of 100% truth in function. Another way of saying the same thing is that contradictions are in a timeless way, that's important, because time has, in my view, nothing to do with it. Contradictions are in an ongoing way instantly resolved. And in a way, in wilderness, that's what we're experiencing, re-experiencing, going back into our own natural history, which is always there deeper under the surface. So truth and function is movement. So there you have it. You have a cycle of self-correction which is not limited by anything and is not, well, there you have it, and is not being corrupted. So it's simply the very essence of the freedom of living intelligence. Now, I'd like to suggest that is what we experience as the profound and marvelous and exhilarating beauty of the natural world. In form, in the relationships between organisms, and well, there you have it, and our three things, that there's no waste. There can't be waste if you think about it, because that would contradict the basic principle of the watercourse way. The main source of waste, help me here, I'm thinking out loud, the main source of waste is contradiction itself. So let's step back and start over again. So there we have Mother Nature, 100% truth and function. That's a, it's always self-correcting. And if there's a contradiction, it's illuminated. So that is that um, objective hardness of the natural world. That when I step out of this tent, and if I'm not prepared, boy, you're going to have problems. 
So therefore, you're always very sharply, we hope, alert to what uh, could go wrong, what you, what you have to prepare. You're adapting constantly. Now, there's nothing complicated in that. We make it uh, complicated. So we're going back, you can sense it, to the circle of culture. And now we're saying, well, the circle of con culture can have zero percent truth and function. Do you see where I'm going with this? So we have a new kind of relationship, comparison. It's almost the measure, although we don't want to try to quantify it, although that would in the future be possible. It's a key component of what we think of as design and design thinking is its truth and function. Okay, so we have nature, 100% culture as a possibility when it is at, at its very lowest, its very deepest nature, uh, 0%. Now, those 10 primary problems of the double circle of dialogue, they're all pointing to a misfit of truth and function. Otherwise, they wouldn't be problems to begin with. So we have water, climate crisis, energy. We'll take energy. We're saying that we have become totally dependent on a form of energy, fossil fuels, which are extremely powerful and enabling, but in the wider context, when we put them together, the relationship between hydrocarbons and the wider circle of nature have zero truth and function. Why? Because obviously they're in every single metric extremely destructive. within the wider context. Extremely destructive. Even if there weren't the problem of carbon pollution, which we're sitting in right here. One of the main reasons we take the picture poem office out into the wilderness is because I don't think it's possible to understand deeply a climate crisis without exposing oneself directly uh, to the effects of what's actually going on. Because it's very, very subtle, the changes which are taking place, and extremely dramatic at the same time. So the relationship between hydrocarbons in the wider circle of nature. Zero truth and function. Why? Because there's conflict. Because there's waste. Even if there weren't the problem of carbon pollution, just the fact of all the pollution 
that it causes would be enough in a spiritually alive culture that questions what it's doing in an ongoing way, which we're doing right here, right now, we say, wait, gee, zero truth and function. So you begin to look at it, and you can kind of feel where I'm going. The beauty of truth and function is that there is absolutely no projection of a different reality. You're dealing with truth. So you don't know what's going to come after hydrocarbons. Yeah, obviously we do to a limited extent. It's obvious, follow the sun. But notice how we're so stuck and caught in thought that we can't get beyond that. But if you know you're not on the right path, what do you do? Well, we stop and we start to look around. And this will be the center of this tape, I think. The, there's only one reason that we don't follow the watercourse way of nature's truth and function. There's only one reason. Now, what would that be? We're thinking out loud. So we have these circles turning. There's the circle of nature, and there's the circle of culture. And we lifted out, abstracted one feature of that relationship called energy. We have to have energy. Now we see that there's a conflict and a contradiction in the present form of energy, hydrocarbons, between the two that is causing a great deal of violence in the world. Many books have been written about this. Now, there's only single, one single reason that we don't self-correct. And that's because our thought and consciousness is stuck in the past. And not only stuck, but identifies with the past. And will instantly become profoundly threatened if that past, that, here's the key word, legacy, is questioned. So, we have a cycle, a circle, and then a circle that's turning, a cycle of self-correction. That cycle of self-correction and the cycle of truth and function, once we start to think of it as movement, are essentially two ways of saying the same thing. Is that true? 
Well, I'm not going to answer that because it's an open question. But it certainly is an interesting way of thinking. So start again. Why don't we self-correct? Well, just think of yourself on a bicycle. What's happening there? Once we learn the very difficult idea at first, there's not an idea, the experience of leaning into the direction of the fall and not resisting the truth of gravity, then we, the cycle of self-correction becomes instantly, without time, self-correcting. Now imagine what it would be like well, it's not difficult. We're already on the ground. Without that ongoing cycle of self-correction, and all you're looking at, you, you have no idea of perfect balance. We don't know what that is. All we look at is contradiction, conflict, waste. When we're being pulled out of balance, we instantly sense it in self-correct. But when you're in balance, you're not aware of it. Just like in music, when you play, you don't try to play in tune. What you look at are the things that aren't right. And the better musician you are, the more hyper-aware you uh, are of the potentials for not being right. Too soon, too late, too high, too low, and all the rest of it. But otherwise, you're not thinking at all. There's just one, well, there you have it, there's simply one undivided movement of self-correction. The dancer is the dance. The skier is the skiing. The musician is the music. So that's clear, a cycle of self-correction. Now, why don't we do this? So the key problem, that's why we say philosophy is not um, a book learning. I mean, it has something to do with it. You have to be cognizant of the past and tradition and learn from it, of course. But it's not primarily about knowledge. It has nothing to do, really, and we're starting to see why, I think, about legacy and why it necessarily is not about legacy, I think, is also becoming clear. It's because there's a great danger that we're simply held in the habits of the past which prevents us from seeing clearly, and most especially when it comes to truth and function and self-correction, acting clearly. So is that true? We have this whiplash worldwide now of what I 
somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but not really, call hydrocarbon man. Worldwide, that um, it's obvious that burning fossil fuels is a deadly mistake, scientifically. There's almost universal consensus. But the powers that be politically are moving us in exactly the wrong direction because of obvious reasons of self-interest. So they have, in our new language of description, zero truth in function. And when the two circles of nature and culture are so profoundly out of tune, so profoundly in contradiction, the only way they can be sustained, and we're using the language very carefully here, the only way they can be sustained is by massive inputs of energy from outside the system or the circle. And what that means is that the whole culture becomes based on this contradiction which must be enforced. It must be forced upon not only the world of nature, but we ourselves are nature too, right? It's being forced upon us. And we accept it, evidently, because we all benefit from it in some limited, short-term way. Even though that we're aware, when we start to project the contradictions, the waste, the conflict, the violence, the force, out into even just the near-term future, up here, climate crisis is right here, right now. It's not in the future someplace with these dipole, massive swings of hot, too hot, too cold, too dry, too wet. Lord knows what tomorrow's going to bring. But if your little boat of culture is out here, baby, you're going to notice the waves. It's a rough ocean out here. So is it true that the great cycle of intelligence, forget a bit about artificial intelligence, it has nothing to do with mechanical intellect. This intelligence of truth and function in nature is vastly deeper. And beyond description, beyond all programs of thought of which it could ever be devised, Beyond all mathematics, mathematics comes much later. Beyond all measure. So is it true that there's only one thing that's keeping us from playing in tune? 
And that's the legacy of the past. Now, where is this legacy of the past? Is it out there? Is it just embodied in fossil fuel companies or governments, the, the failure of democracy? Well, it's certainly part of it. But the spirit of this double circle of dialogue, that's why it's double, is because these primary problems are a mirror of our own conflict within consciousness and our own conflict within thought and thinking. And the primary thing that I would suggest that it's showing us, and I'll end with that, is that the only single reason we don't see clearly, we don't hear clearly, is that we're holding on to the past. We're all doing it, seeking security, basically, in the known. And that's why the gift of wilderness is perhaps the very greatest, most sacred gift of all, is because as we start to walk that pathless land, all of that past starts to drop away. And just perhaps we can begin to see and to hear things in a new way with a little bit more truth and function. Well, there you have it. So truth and function, I think the key thing to summarize is that we have truth and content as a fact, a thing, so it's snowing outside and it's going to snow. There's our blackbird sitting in the sea. <laughs> it's going to snow. <laughs> and then we have the truth and function, our adaption, our tuning, our little world of culture to the vastly more powerful, bigger world of nature as a movement, as a cycle of self-correction. Okay, that's it for now. Let me know what you think. Signing off for the picture-poems.com website in the circle in the square. Ciao for now.